Good morning. I really appreciate the songs that Brother Richard chose for us, especially that last song, Give Me the Bible. Did you consider the words as you sang them? As you sang those words to God, did you consider what you were saying, what you were requesting? This morning, as we go through our study, we are going to do our best to do nothing but bring God's truth through His Word, the Bible. So I, I ask you this morning to go ahead and get a Bible out, to have the Bible opened up in front of you and, and study along with me. Judge my words off of what God says and make sure that I'm right because I'm just a man and I can make mistakes. And I think if we will do that this morning, we will all be greatly edified and built up. Our study this morning is going to base off a topic that I believe most of us probably have a pretty good understanding of. If we don't, that's great. There's more we can learn about it. It's based off a topic that we are learning more about in our Bible class as we study the why book, why it is we believe the things we believe. And if you can make it to those classes, I, I encourage you to do so. It'll greatly help you in, in understanding not only why is it that we believe what we believe, why do we make the decisions uh, that we make, but also be able to tell others the same thing. Why is it that we do what we do? And the truth is, in this world today, there's a lot of confusion out there as to why we do what we do and what it is we should do. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. You see, many people, they wish to, to follow Jesus. In this world today, we can look around and see people all the time that have this desire to follow Jesus. But they are repelled, disgusted even, by the multitude of denominations and the, all the conflicting doctrines and practices that are taught by all those that are professing to be Christians. It doesn't take long for us to look around and see this same thing, to, to look around and see those that, that teach one thing that directly conflicts with someone else that's teaching something else. And you know, this, this attitude of, of repulsion and disgust, that's not wrong. In fact, that's the exact attitude that we see in the Bible. As we, as we study this morning on... Jesus being the way out of religious confusion, we're going to see that Jesus, he desired for, for not to have confusion, but for unity. In fact, in John 17, 21, he says uh, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father for me and for you. He wanted us not to have confusion, but he prayed fervently for unity. That's what Jesus desired. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 through 13, Paul, he condemned religious division. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak uh, the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Some translations might even say divisions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We see Paul's message here. Is that religious division? It doesn't fit with what Jesus came to do on this earth. It doesn't fit with what God desires for us. And there are many today who, who like to justify their existence, but, but we know that religious confusion, that's not something that comes from God. God, 
he, he, doesn't, he doesn't provide confusion for us. God provides light. He provides something that clears confusion, that directs our path in a straight and narrow way instead of meandering through a, a forest of trees. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33, and I've put these first few passages on the board, uh, but 1 Corinthians 14.33, we read that God is not the author of confusion, but, of confusion, but rather of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And in fact, he says uh, just in a, a few tra- chapters back, 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4, that religious strife, religious confusion, that's indicative of carnality. He says, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? We see that trying to, to hold fast to, to one train of doctrine uh, over another, anything that is not directly set on God's word, Paul was saying there, that's carnality. And that's wrong. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So we need to ask ourselves the question then, if, if we are not going to be a part of all these divisions, is it possible for us to just simply be Christians? And not a contributor to the, the abundance of denominational division that we have in the world today. The answer to this question is is yes. Absolutely it's possible. And Jesus shows us that way. The way out of religious confusion. And to begin noticing this, the first thing we need to notice is that Jesus set an example for us. Note the religious atmosphere of his day. When Jesus comes to earth, uh, the Israelites were living under God's law given to them by Moses. They were living under the Mosaical law. And in that law... God had not made any provisions for any, any dis, uh, different sects or, or parties uh, in religion. But what do we see uh, when Jesus comes to this earth? We see that the Jews had formed various religious parties. We see the Pharisees, who were somewhat conservative, very focused on the letter of the law. We see the Sadducees, who were or the, the liberals of that time. And they, they, uh, they, they focused on, on many modern views of thought. The Essenes, who were radical isolationists, and even the Herodians and the Zealots. These people were very political in their religion. It was assumed at that point in time, at the time that Jesus comes to earth, it was assumed that if you were going to be religious, you had to ascribe yourself to one of these groups. If you're going to be religious, oh, you must be a Pharisee, or you must be a Sadducee, or or an Essene, or a Zealot. Those were the groups of that day. But what do we see in Jesus' example? We see that Jesus, he was non-sectarian. He wasn't assigned a group. He didn't belong to any of these groups, instead maintaining this non-sectarian relationship with God. As an Israelite, which Jesus was, living at a time when the law of Moses was still in effect, we see simply put, Jesus was an Israelite. He wasn't anything more, he wasn't anything less. In addition, if you want to turn over to Matthew 5, we're going to see that's exactly what he encouraged people to be. In Matthew 5 and verse 17 through 20, we read, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will be by no means enter the kingdom of, of heaven. In other words, he was encouraging the men of that day, men who were living, living under the law of Moses at that time, to, to live by, simply by the moniker of Israelite. And that's exactly what he encouraged them to do. So we need to ask ourselves the question. You hear this, you, you see the wristbands sometimes, it's not as prevalent as it used to be. But you hear that, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I want to change that a little bit this morning. I want to ask you, WWJB, what would Jesus be today? If Jesus was on the earth today, what would he be? Would he be Baptist? Catholic? Would he be Presbyterian? Methodist? What would he be? If he was simply an Israelite then, would it not make sense that today he would simply be an, an, a Christian? In Acts 11, <clears throat> Acts 11 and verse 26, we read, and when, he found, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Disciples of Christ, those living under the law that Christ came to establish, were called Christians. Is it no surprise today then that Jesus, if he was living on this earth today, would simply be a Christian? What kind of Christian? Would he be a Baptist Christian? Would he be a Methodist Christian? He wasn't a Pharisee Israelite or a Sadducee Israelite. He was simply an Israelite. That's why it's no stretch of the imagine today that he would simply be a Christian. The example Jesus set for us is clear. It's hard to muddy those waters. Just be what God originally intended under the law which is in effect. So since in the New Testament, the, as 1 Corinthians 9.21 tells us that the law of Christ is in effect, the disciples of Christ were called Christians, so should we. That's all we should strive to be. Not only should we be content with being just called Christians, we should also be concerned with being just Christians, nothing more, nothing less. And how can, be we, how can we be sure that that's what we are? How can we be sure that we are simply Christians, members of the church that we read about in the New Testament? It helps for us to see what the Bible tells us about the Lord's church. The first thing we see is a promise by Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus is talking to Peter and he, he asks them, Who do you say that I am? We see that Peter's response to him in this passage, uh, or in, in uh, verse 16, excuse me, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus talking about this confession, he says, And I also, uh, or in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The word church here comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia, which simply means a called out group. There are many ekklesias in that day and there are still many ekklesias today. A group of people called out for a, a, a purpose. We see at times in the, in the Bible there were ekklesias discussing laws and matters and, and, and contentions. But Jesus was saying, I am setting up my own ekklesia. I am promising to create my own group of people who have been called. We ask ourselves, what does that mean to be called? Well, it is established through preaching. 
preaching the gospel. That's how this calling takes place. In 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 14, if we want to flip over there, we, we see some of this, about this idea of being called. Uh, according to Paul, he says that we are called by the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that as Paul talking about being called. On the first Pentecost, after the apostles or after the ascension of Christ, we see the preaching of the gospel by Peter. And Peter called out all those who were willing to express their faith in Jesus. Turn over to Acts 2, where this is recorded for us. Acts 2 and verse 38, and this is why it's so important that we turn to these passages because this isn't this isn't what Kyle wants. This is what Peter was saying, what Jesus wants, what God would have for us. Acts 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And look at verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. Or were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's what we see happening on Pentecost. The establishment of Jesus' ecclesia. It was here on this day that Jesus' church was established. And this called out assembly and this, this group was created when the gospel was proclaimed and when people responded to the proclamation of it. The next thing we see in the Lord's church is that the church is expanded as well. Not only was it established through preaching, but it is expanded through preaching. At first, the church only existed in Jerusalem. 3,000 souls made it up at, at, at this place in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But Acts 8, we read it, that the gospel began to spread. In Acts 8, we see in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So as, as Christians went out from, from this place from uh, the reason being of persecution, but as they were spread out, we see that they took the gospel with them. They took it to various places and they spread and they told people what they had heard. They spread the good news, which is what the gospel is. And people responded to it. They didn't just hear it, they responded to it. And groups of these saved people in various cities began to meet together. And each group became known as a local church. They became known as a church in a local sense, which was in contrast to this universal church, this church that was made up of all the saved throughout the world that, that at that time had just been in Jerusalem, spread out, they've started to see local congregations. And so by simply teaching through the gospel of Christ, a local church was, was formed. Look over in Acts 14. Acts 14 and verse 21 through 23. In Acts 14, verse 21, we read, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So we see this, this setting up of various churches in, in a local sense as the uh, gospel spread to others and others believed it and others acted upon it. But we also see that not only was it expanded through preaching, but it was edified through the apostles' doctrine. Though they were united in Christ, these congregations, they were locally independent of any human association or any federation of churches. They didn't have any church creeds or bylaws that were created by man. They were, they were united only in Christ, but Christ directed them through his inspired apostles. Acts 2 verse 42, if we want to flip back over there, talks more about this, that they remained steadfast. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. We see that, that this was one way that Christ taught them and that, and that they, were, they were built up. But sometimes, this, while this teaching was done by the apostles, there were other times when it was done by men appointed by the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 4 and verse 17, 1 Corinthians four seventeen says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So we see the apostles appointing men to, excuse me, let me get myself caught up here. We see the apostles appointing men to, to do this edifying, to do this teaching of God's word. And not only were they appointing men, but they were also writing letters. As, uh, as 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37 tells us. 14 and verse 37. <clears throat> If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So what do we have for the edification of the, of the churches in that day? We had the, the apostles who directly went to the congregations and, and, and taught them. And then they appointed men to go in these congregations when they, when they couldn't be there and to teach. And then they wrote letters. And today we, we don't have the apostles with us or the men that they appointed but we do still have their letters. We do still have the knowledge that they recorded for us and everything being recorded therein that we need to, to satisfy the Lord and to be saved. When we read what the Bible says to us about the Lord's church, we learn that by responding to the gospel and paying close attention to what the apostles taught, as the people of Acts 2.42 did, the people in the first century were able to be Christians and Christians alone. And with all the confusion that's prevalent today, we, we can understand how someone might ask the question, is it possible to do that today? And as I said in the beginning, yes, absolutely it is. Jesus shows us the way out of religious confusion. The first thing that he shows us is that we have to accept the call of the gospel. Remember, Christ calls us into his ecclesia. He is seeking for us to come into his church, and he does so through the gospel. So therefore, we can begin by obeying the same instructions that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.38. He said, repent and be baptized. We talked about in class this morning what that means, baptism, immersion, to be fully uh, submerged underwater for the remission of your sins. We then can receive the same blessing of Jesus' call to us if we will obey those same commands to repent and be baptized. We can receive salvation through that. But by being saved in this manner, we know that the Lord truly adds us to His church. That church universal. Look in Acts. 
again, back over in Acts 2. We've taken so much from, and look down in verse 47 this time. In Acts 2 and verse 47, we read, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If we, if we will submit ourselves to the gospel call, if we will listen to the, the, the teachings of the apostles, if we are listening to the teachings of Jesus, if we will follow what they have said needs to be followed for us to receive this salvation, that's exactly what we will receive. And God will count us. He will add us into the body of Christ. But it doesn't stop with just accepting the call. We also have to follow the example that the early Christians followed. As we said in verse verse 42, they steadfastly followed in the apostles' doctrine. They joined no other religious organization, and neither should we. In Christ, we are automatically united with all others who are in Him. And as members of the Lord's church, we should study carefully the New Testament description of of the church that continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We should also, we should, we should take this time to look at what the Lord has left for us as instructions on, on how to worship uh, the Lord acceptably. We should look at things like how to live and work together as Christians do. How to spread the gospel of Christ through word and through example. These are the kind of things that we will find if we will study the book of Acts. If we will study the epistles that were left of us. If we will study the apostles' doctrine, we'll find out not only how to acceptably worship the Lord, but how to further this call of the gospel and to spread it to others. Since the apostles were guided by the Holy Spirit, we, we may be sure that their instructions were exactly what Jesus wanted them to be. And if we duplicate the early Christians... By following the apostles' instructions, we will simply be Christians. And we can be certain the Lord is pleased with that. Now if you want to turn over to Luke chapter 10 real quick. We have a warning. And it should be concerning to us this morning. Jesus said this to his apostles in Luke chapter 10 and in verse 16. He said, he who hears you, hears me. He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the message that Jesus was sending to us here is don't don't reject the apostles' doctrines, and in turn, reject Christ, and in turn, reject God. Don't be guilty of doing so. Continue steadfastly, as the early Christians did, in the teachings of the Lord. Simply being a Christian and duplicating a New Testament congregation is not as difficult as you might think. There, there are literally thousands of them around the world. Uh, I, I imagine thousands is, is probably a small number even. There are, there are many of these congregations around the world. And by following the example and the teachings of Jesus as revealed by his apostles, we can be led out of religious confusion and into peace and into the unity that Jesus would have us to live in today. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you want to simply be a Christian? Do you want to simply be a Christian, a member of the Lord's church that we read about in the New Testament? Testament? If that is your desire this morning, then I, I plead with you to do so. 
to first render obedience to the gospel of Christ. As Acts 2 pointed out in verse 36 through 38, when they, when they heard the gospel call, when they were pricked to their heart, and they said, what do we do? We understand that, that Jesus now is, is the Son of God, and we have put Him to death. What do we do to be saved from our sins? What did Peter say to them as we read in verse 38? Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you will, if you will render yourself obedient to that call, and, be procl- and proclaim Christ, you will be saved. You will be added in by the Lord to His church. And you have assurance that God's Word will then lead you. It, it, it will lead you through this life and help you to understand how it is that, you, that God expects you to live. But the thing is, it doesn't stop with that baptism. You have to be following that Word. As we sang before, give me the Bible. Don't let those words roll off your lips unsincerely. Give me the Bible. And as you study the Bible, as you study the Word of God, after you have been saved, before you have been saved, mold yourself to the teachings that are in it. And if you've already given your life to Christ this day, but you, you through studying the Word, you see that there are things in your life that don't match up to what God has proclaimed, don't, don't wait. Don't be content to sit back and, and, and maybe one day I'll take care of that. Take care of that today. Take care of that right now. This morning we have the opportunity. If you have not yet responded to the commands of the gospel as put forth by Peter, or if you have need this morning to, to take care of something in your life, why don't you let your reaction be like those on the day of Pentecost? Why don't you join the 3,000 souls that took action on that day? that didn't sit back and wait. Those who gladly received the word were baptized that day. If that be your will, don't be like the song we're about to sing. In just a minute, Richard's going to get up here and lead us in number 348. Almost persuaded. My encouragement for you this morning is don't be almost persuaded. Be 100% persuaded. Be completely persuaded. If there is anything that we can do for you this morning, I encourage you, please come forward now as we stand and sing.